0: Chapters fifty two and fifty three of History of Philosophy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. History of Philosophy by William Turner. Chapter fifty two Protestant Mysticism. Mention has already been made of the Protestant Reformation as one of the causes which led to the change from medieval to modern modes of thought. Perhaps it would be more correct to regard both the reform and the rise of modern philosophy as effects of a common cause, for modern philosophy is, as Erdmann observes, Protestantism in the sphere of the thinking spirit. At all events, wherever the influence of the first reformers asserted itself, scholastic philosophy was discouraged, and an effort was made to replace it by a new order of ideas. Lutheranism, according to Erasmus, was opposed to all literary culture. Ubicumque regnat Lutheranismus, ibi literarum est etheritis. Whether this be true or false, certain it is that not only Luther, but also Zwingli, Calvin, and Melanchthon, did their utmost to eradicate the principles of scholasticism. Scholasticism stood for Ecclesiasticism orthodoxy, respect for authority, in a word for everything against which the first Reformers protested. Among the Reformers themselves, there soon sprang up systems of philosophy. Luther, 1483 to 1546, by his distinction between reason, a function of the flesh, and faith, a function of the spirit, laid the foundation for psychological dualism. Zwingli, 1484 to 1531, imbued with the spirit of humanism maintained a pantheistic doctrine of divine imminence and taught that man is deified by divine regeneration melanchthon 1497 to 1560 developed a system of aristotelian philosophy which may be styled a protestant scholasticism of greater importance than these philosophical tenets of the first reformers are the systems of mysticism which grew out of the religious doctrines of the reformation Franck, fifteen hundred 1500 to fifteen forty-five, of whom mention has already been made, developed a system of mysticism, characterized by pantheism and psychological dualism, antithesis of flesh and spirit. He was succeeded by Weigel, fifteen thirty-three to fifteen eighty-eight, who taught that regeneration is to be attained by abandoning the inus ichite of the individual nature. All these mystic tendencies find their fullest expression in the writings of Jacob Bohm, 1575-1624, to 1624, the chief representative of Protestant mysticism. Jacob Bohm. Life. Jacob Bohm was born at Alta Seidenberg, near Gorlitz, in the year 1575. Until he was ten years old, he received absolutely no education, and he never extended his knowledge of literature beyond an acquaintance with the Bible and with the writings of Weigel. He earned his living by mending shoes, and the cobbler of Gorlitz is sometimes referred to as the German philosopher, in allusion to the fact that his works were composed in German, the only language in which he could write. He died in 1624. His principal work is entitled Aurora or the Rising Dawn. Doctrines Bohm devoted special attention to the problem of evil. He taught that the ultimate cause of the evil which exists in the world is the eternal dualism of God himself. Perceiving one day the sunlight reflected from a tin vessel, he conceived the idea that as the dark vessel reveals the brightness of the sun, so the element of evil in God shows forth the goodness of the divine nature. For everything he taught is known by its opposite. Without evil there would be no revelation of God, no distinction of things, no life, no movement. Nay, more if there were not in God a principle antithetical to goodness, God could not even arrive at a knowledge of Himself. Developing this idea of the dualism of the divine nature, Bohm describes in the language of mysticism the eternal nature of God as containing seven primordial qualities, of which three represent the divine anger, and three the divine love. Intermediate between these is the divine fire, which is the principle of life. The divine nature is the first stage of development, namely in that of will without object is God the Father. The Father looking into his own nature forms in himself the image of himself and thus divides into Father and Son. The procession of this vision from the original groundless nature of God as will is God the Holy Ghost. Lucifer became enamored of the anger qualities of God and refusing to take part in the advance from darkness to light, remained wholly evil. As a result of the fall of Lucifer, the material world was created. Heaven and hell are experienced here on earth. He who, like Lucifer, becomes enamored of evil and clings to it is in hell, while he who renounces all the evil that is in self and joins in the development of light from darkness is in heaven. HISTORICAL POSITION in the writings of Bohm, we see the mystic tendency run riot. Free from the restraint of orthodox dogma, Bohm made the fullest use of the Protestant principle of private interpretation and expounded the doctrines of Scripture from the extreme individualistic point of view. No one, however, can question the intense earnestness, the two-hearted sensibility, and the unusually deep and vigorous spirituality of the man. It is these qualities that have secured for Bohm a permanent place in the history of German literature. They also account for the influence which he exerted on such men as Schelling and Hegel. Chapter 53. Systems of Political Philosophy The growing sense of political individuality and the gradual dwindling of the ideal of a universal Christian empire were most important factors in the change from ancient to modern modes of thought. Dante's de Monarchia no longer embodied the political aspirations of European states. Humanism, moreover, had restored ancient ideals of political life, and the result was an attempt on the part of some Renaissance writers to formulate systems of political philosophy which should meet the conditions of the times. The first independent political philosopher of this period was Niccolò Machiavelli, 1469-1527. In the celebrated work entitled El Principe, and in his other writings, Machiavelli expounds a system of state utilitarianism. He teaches that in the government of the state, means are to be judged exclusively with reference to the end for which they are employed, without consideration, or at least without due consideration, of the relation which they bear to the principles of morality. Where it is a question of saving one's country, he writes, there must be no hesitation On the score of justice or injustice, cruelty or kindness, praise or blame, but setting all things else aside, one must snatch whatever means present themselves for the preservation of life and liberty. Machiavelli waged war on the Christian religion, contending that Christianity is opposed to the true advancement of the state, and that it is inferior to the religion of ancient Rome, inasmuch as it fails to inculcate the political virtues. His ideal of a ruler is that of one who should combine the qualities of the fox with those of the lion. The ruler should make himself liked if he can. If he cannot, he must make himself feared. He should maintain the outward semblance of honesty and morality, even when, for reasons of state, he is obliged to set the principles of honesty and morality aside. Thomas More, 1478-1535, to 1535, and Jean Baudin, 1530-1596, to 1596, inspired by a spirit altogether different from that which animated Machiavelli, developed from Platonic principles highly ideal schemes of state organization and government. Blessed Thomas More, as he is now entitled to be called, was educated at Oxford, and after some years of very successful practice at law, entered into political life, becoming successively Speaker of the House of Commons, Treasurer to the Exchequer, and Lord Chancellor. Having incurred the displeasure of Henry VIII, he was committed to the Tower, and after 18 months' imprisonment, was executed on the charge of attempting to deprive the King of the title of Supreme Head of the Church in England. In his Utopia, the Optima republicae Statu Dece Nova Insula, Utopia, he describes an imaginary Republic so governed as to secure universal happiness. Baudin is more scientific in his method than any of the other political philosophers of this period. He may be said to have inaugurated the historical method of studying political philosophy. Thomas Hobbes, Life Thomas Hobbes was born in Westport, now Malmesbury in Wiltshire, in 1588. He was educated at Oxford, and during his repeated sojourns at Paris, he became acquainted with Gasendi, Mersenne, and Descartes who had a marked influence on his system of speculative philosophy. His political doctrines were influenced, no doubt, by the disorders of the English Revolution. He died in 1679. His principal works are Leviathan, Sive de Materia, Forma et Prostate, Civitas Ecclesiastica et Civilis, and Elementa philosophy, including three parts, De Corpore, De Homine, and De Sive. Doctrines Hobbes, like Bacon, concerned himself chiefly with the practical aspect of philosophy. But instead of applying philosophical principles to technical inventions, as his fellow countrymen had attempted to do, he addressed himself to the task of applying philosophy to the solution of political questions. We shall study, therefore, first the speculative and, secondly, the political doctrines of Hobbes. 1. SPECULATIVE PHILOSOPHY Hobbes is the first in a long line of English nominalists and censists. The only universality which he admits is that of the name. The name is a sign taken at pleasure to designate a plurality of objects. It is for us to decide what objects a name shall designate, and the announcement of such a decision is what we call a definition. In this connection he remarks that words are wise men's counters. They do but reckon by them, but they are the money of fools. Reality is not only individual, it is also corporeal. All that exists is body, all that occurs is motion. Spiritual substance can neither be nor be thought, neither is there in human knowledge any element superior to sense. The original of them all, he says, speaking of men's thoughts, is that which we call sense, for there is no conception in a man's mind which hath not at first totally or by parts, been begotten upon the organ of sense. From the foregoing principles Hobbes is led to affirm the doctrine of subjectivism. I shall endeavor, he writes, to make plain these points, that the object wherein the color and images are inherent is not the object or thing seen, that there is nothing without us, really, which we call image or color, that the said image or color is but the apparition unto us of the motion, agitation, or alteration which the object worketh in the brain, or spirits, or some internal substance of the head. 2. Political Philosophy Hobbes begins by denying the doctrine on which Aristotle's philosophy of the state is based. The doctrine, namely, that man is a political animal. The English philosopher assumes, rather, the Epicurean principle that originally there existed a condition of natural warfare among men. Homo homini lupus, or Bellum Omnium Contra Omnes. But he goes on to say, when men discovered the disadvantages of continual strife, and realized that the safety of life and property is a condition essential to progress, they entered into a compact by which it was stipulated that the individual should vest all his rights in the supreme and absolute authority of the state. The authority of the state has its origin, therefore, in a social compact, and since the renunciation and transference of private rights was complete and unreserved, the authority of the state is absolute. Hobbes carries the doctrine of state absolutism to the extreme of subjecting even conscience and religion to the authority of the ruler. He teaches that the will of the ruler is the supreme arbiter of right and wrong in the moral order and of the true and false in the matter of religious belief. Historical Position it would be difficult to overestimate the influence of Hobbes on the subsequent development of philosophic thought in England. Despite the wise maxim quoted above, philosophers have too often used words as money rather than as counters, and all the confusion arising from the use of vague and inaccurate terminology, confusion which is to the present day the bane of English philosophy, may be traced in large measure to Hobbes. For him substance and body... Imagination and intellect are synonymous, and if these terms are confounded by subsequent writers upon Hobbes must be laid the chief part of the blame. The cause which led to the study of political philosophy during the transition period led also to the study of the philosophy of law. The Italian Alberto gentili fifteen fifty two to sixteen eight paid special attention to the study of the law of war. the german althus fifteen fifty seven to sixteen thirty eight devoted himself to the study of Roman law. To these succeeded the Netherlander Hugo Grotius, Hugo de Groot, 1583 to 1645, who, in defending the rights of his country to free trade with the Indies, developed a system of philosophy of natural law. His most celebrated work is entitled De Jure Belli et Passis, 1625. He maintains the doctrine of social contract, But while Hobbes regards the transference of the rights of the individual to the state as irrevocable, Grotius considers that rights once transferred may afterwards be recalled. He favors the separation of church and state, and advocates religious toleration. By the phrase jus gentium, he does not mean natural law, but rather positive international law, or the law regulating the relations of one state with another. Retrospect. The period of transition from medieval to modern philosophy was a period of tendencies rather than of systems. It was an age of new ideas and of changes in the world of letters, science, politics, and religion. It witnessed the disappearance of the old order and the advent of the new. During this period of change, the Aristotelian and scholastic idea of a geocentric universe gave way to the modern scientific notion of a heliocentric system. The medieval idea of a universal Christian empire gave way to the modern ideals of individual national life, and in many European states the spirit of ecclesiastical unity disappeared, to be replaced by the notion of a national church organization and the assertion of individualism in matters of religious belief. Thus did the Renaissance period usher in the modern era. It did not itself contribute any permanent system of philosophy to systematize in a speculative scheme of thought the wealth of ideas, facts, and tendencies resulting from the great intellectual movements of the 15th and 16th centuries was the task which the Renaissance set and which the 17th century undertook to accomplish. Second Period from Descartes to Kant The second period in the history of modern philosophy extends from Descartes to Kant, that is, from the beginning of the 17th century to the end of the 18th. It comprises some of the greatest modern systems of thought, namely the philosophies of Descartes, Spinoza, Leibniz, Locke, Berkeley, and Hume, the last forming, as it were, the connecting link with the period of criticism inaugurated by Kant. The period which we are about to study is one of dogmatism and empiricism, although it includes, as we shall see, more than one system of skepticism, partial or complete. It is a period during which intellectual activity within the church is confined for the most part to the domain of theology. Philosophy no longer stands to theology in the close relation in which it had stood during the Middle Ages, and battles in which the most vital principles of religion are involved are fought outside the church and in the domain of philosophy. This dissociation of philosophy from theology is one of the characteristics of the period. End of chapter 53